Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's a week and a half after the Tucson shooting, and the House is now resuming the effort to repeal the job-damaging health bill. And Hu Jintao comes to Washington, and Joe Lieberman prepares to hang his hat. Good day, and welcome to Momocrats Mama Chat. I'm Donna Schwartz-Mills, also known as SoCal Mom, and I'm here today with Cinematic. Hi. Hey, Finn. Hey. How are you how doing? Are you? Good, good. You just came back from the Detroit Auto Show. My goodness. Well, that was last week. That was last recovering. week. Right? And yes, and, and I'm really enjoying uh, seeing your posts on um, your own website, SoCal Mom. And then, of course, you've got some stuff for Ask Patty, too. So if anyone is in the mood to buy a new car, definitely check out the latest information on uh, you know the new stuff that's coming out. I'm really excited about all the electric cars that are on the market now. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole subject of energy and the future. I mean, that is something that all of the automakers are looking towards because they recognize that we cannot go on with strictly gasoline-powered engines. And, I mean, when you've got Porsche coming out with uh, hybrid race cars, that's where you know they're serious. (laughs) My husband was so excited about that, and I was like, why? As if that could ever be a reality? <laughs> you could like sure you could be glad in the abstract, <laughs> but we're not likely to get a, you know, a hybrid Porsche anytime soon, honey. <laughs> but you know, it is kind of like the the race to space. You know, we got Tang and Velcro and things like that out of it. <laughs> you know, you know you, you know it it does trickle down eventually. Yeah, the oh, innovation. Sure. sure. And I, I, I saw a piece uh, that you put on the Facebook Momocrats page, which talked about how um, there's actually a tiny bit of great news, which is that in the manufacturing sector, hiring is actually up. And I think that not enough dots have been connected uh, to say that, you know, hey, if it weren't for this White House, if it weren't for Obama taking action and saving GM and, you know, these major automakers when they were on the brink, uh, that, you know, that we would not be seeing, you know, that bit of bright news today. I mean, those car makers would have, you know, gone down the tubes. Who knows what would have happened? They might have been purchased by some other car maker in some other country, you know, who knows um, what the situation may have been. So, But, I mean, luckily we took the path that we did, and so now our reward is that we get more environmentally conscious cars finally and also some a little bit of a rebound in the manufacturing sector. So thank goodness for that. Yeah, and I noticed that the Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal did not connect those dots oh, in their article. I wonder why. I'm shocked. I'm amazed. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it is good news, and uh, let's hope that we can continue with that. They still don't foresee the job rate getting much better. I mean, it's not even beginning to replace the number of jobs that have been lost since 1997. Oh, but it's a start. Not. It's a start, yeah. I mean, if we, at least we can stem a little bit of the erosion, then, you know, I think that's a positive. And the more jobs that we create that are here in America that can't be outsourced or offshored, the better, you know, I'm I'm all I'm all for that, two thousand percent definitely. Yeah. So, and then I think the other huge news, which is going on right this moment as we speak, is in the House, of course, where there's a GOP majority, and um, now there's this big effort to repeal the health care bill, the Affordable Care Act. 
um, many provisions of which have already kicked in. Um, people whose children are 26 and younger, um, basically, you know, college age and, and just graduated um, young adults are able to stay on their parents' health insurance if they're so lucky to have health insurance. And so yeah. um, other provisions like that, the pre-existing conditions, you're no longer allowed to be excluded. Um, you know, just there's no more gender rating allowed. Uh, women, you know, will not be made to pay more, um, you know, in health insurance than men. Um, I'm not exactly sure exactly when that uh, rule kicks in, but, you know, many of the things that I've just mentioned have already started, and um, we know that the full thing comes online in 2014. Right, right. And all of those benefits that you mentioned are very popular with everybody, even even those who claim that they want, that they, you know, don't want this health care bill. But um, the kicker is the mandatory, the requirement that everybody carry mandatory insurance. And that's right. what's, you know, even though this was a Republican idea, this was Bob Dole's idea. This right. Um, ah, it's, it's just crazy. You know, we go along with their idea, and then they, they try to destroy it. Yeah. But um, you cannot have all the goodies unless you get the young people into the pool. And the young yeah. people are not going to go into the pool until they have a need to. Right. So it's a vicious cycle. Well, it's it's several things. Um, you know, there are a lot of tax credits designed for small businesses to help with, you know, individuals and businesses, you know, getting into the system. Right. So it's not all stick. You know, we've heard a you lot about, oh, you'll go to jail, you'll be fine. The job-crushing bill. <laughs> you know, funny how funny how they're not. I'm, I'm glad they're not calling it the job killing bill, even though that is the official title yeah, of the bill. You know? I know. Yeah, made the job assassinating bill, the job murder yeah. bill, the job bloody gory decimation bill. You know, I mean, okay, great. So you now call it the job destroying bill. All right, whatever. It's it's still a lie. <laughs> no matter. It's still. A you know, it's almost like Monty Python's dead parrot sketch. <laughs> You know, all the bad, all the words for death and killing we could come up with for uh, right. the health care bill. Yes, and oh. it is their dead parrot. It's totally their dead parrot. And the thing is, yeah. now, three, it's gone before the whole question of constitutionality of requiring, um, you know, the mandate for everyone to buy in has gone before three federal judges so far as I understand it. And out of those two, I mean, out of those three, two said it's perfectly constitutional. And the third, as we know, was a contributor to and part owner of a GOP consulting firm. So he wasn't exactly impartial. And I think, to my mind, not only should he have recused himself from ruling on this kind of decision, but he really should have been impeached for his lack of, you know, impartiality. But anyway, that's the status on kind of, you know, where we are last I caught up on the constitutionality of the whole mandate to purchase insurance. And then um, uh, oh, I completely lost my train of thought. I was going to bring up another point. But, um, but in terms of like, you know, in terms of public approval, I think there was a poll released um, showing that 18% of the people who really, really, really want the bill repealed are, you know, dead set against it. And everyone else, I mean, they basically the polls are showing that people are coming around to it. Republicans yeah. who were against it are now kind of starting to see the benefits. 
starting to see yeah. the pluses, starting to see how really it impacts them personally, every person personally, and how it can be a good thing. You know, it can be a good thing that <laughs> your um your you know, just graduated from college kid who may be having some trouble finding, you know, work that also has a benefits package including insurance with it, you know, that uh, your kid can nevertheless be covered under your own, you know. So things well, like that, I, I think it's it's transpartisan. I think that people, you know, yeah. people want to see um, more and more people get covered, you know. Well, I think that all of us know that we're just one job loss away from losing our coverage in this employer-based system that we've right. got. Right. And nobody wants to go into the individual market when you still have outfits like Blue Shield raising the rates by, you know, 59% or whatever it is that they were threatening to raise the rates again in California. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, you know, there is no safety net. Right. And increases are you coming know, whether you want them or not and it's the I think what it boils down to me is do you as an individual want to try to wrestle with your gigantic enormous faceless bureaucratic insurance company on your own or do no. you want an ally <laughs> in the form of your state insurance commissioner and the you know secretary of health and human services Kathleen Sebelius and the kind of regulatory structure that will enable the consumer to have some sort of recourse and to be able to yeah. say you must justify to the insurance companies you must justify any kind of increase with some sort of connection to an increase in cost. It can't just be arbitrary. It can't just be because, you know, we want profits to just go up like this because we want to tell a nice story to our investors on the stock market. You know, it can't be that anymore. It's got to be about, you know, you have to meet your medical loss ratio, and now now I believe it's um, 80 cents out of every dollar has to go toward actual health care, so only 20 cents out of every dollar is allowed to go to overhead and profit. In California, I didn't realize this, but it's the medical loss ratio is like 70%, so 70 cents went to your health care and 30 cents went to those plush, you know, spa resort retreats where the executives would have, you know, <laughs> whatever conversations about how to maximize profits for Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and, you know, all the other um, gigantic, enormous uh, insurance companies out there. So, um, you know, so I think these are all great things, and I think people are starting to realize, like, hey, you know, I need an ally when I am going up against an insurance company, you know, and there's no need for all of us individual consumers to be battling it out on our own when we can have, you know, this is this is where government is on your side, you know. Government is really kind of the only entity that's big enough to stand up to an enormous corporation or set of corporations yeah. like the health industry and say, you can't do that. You can't yeah. do that. Imagine where we would be if we would allow them to, you know, negotiate rates for drugs, for instance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like so, Medicare does. So we definitely have a long way to go. I mean, there's much more that you know we could get, but um, it's um, it's 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 a first step, and I think we need to build on what's there. And I think we're starting to hear that more from um, the various, um, you know, even the Republicans out there. Uh, granted, Frist. <laughs> has financial interest in the health industry, so 
you know, he's not exactly impartial either, but he is one of the many Republicans out there saying, uh, why do you want to repeal something? You know, let's build on what's there. Now, granted, make it better. Yeah, granted, he's someone who's, you know, all about, um, you know, getting his little bit of gravy <laughs> from well, the side. But as from, a medical you know, doctor, he's got some authority in in saying, you know, this part, this works, this, you know, I don't know. It, yeah. it, it, it's nice, but he's not in office anymore, and this is not what we're hearing from the House Republicans and the whole Tea Party-backed Mm-hmm. thing, you know, they got elected to repeal this. This is what they ran on after they right. got everybody all excited about death panels and right. um, without realizing that the real death panels are the insurance companies right now who decide right. who's going to get treatment and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So, and in any case, here we are. So, like, there's this giant drama taking place, and my sense is that most people are just ignoring it, which is bad, because I think those of us who do support the Affordable Health Care Act and see it as, you know, a necessary first step toward hopefully something much better on down the road, um, more comprehensive, fill in the holes, et cetera, you know, we need, we do need to pay attention and we do need to call in because I think, um, you know, that mo- very motivated 18% that hates the bill, hates anything to do with it, you know, undoubtedly they're calling in and uh, making their views known with their representatives. So I think... Um, in our case, you know, we can't afford to be um, inattentive either. We we need to make yeah. our voices heard and in support of it, you know. Yeah. Living in California with uh, representatives who are Democrats, I tend to get very complacent about these things. Right, but right. But um, it, it, it probably is good to let my representative know that I've got his back if he votes. Yeah, and, and also yeah. to thank them because, yeah. as we know, um, and, you know, Gabrielle Giffords saw this also. She voted for health care reform. It was one of the many things that, you know, the Tea Party crazies in her district, you know, excoriated her for. Um, and, um, you know, I cannot help but think that a lot of the venom, the acrimony, so on and so forth, the generalized um, angry political talk, you know, cannot help but have uh, seeped into you know, her shooter's consciousness and, and, you know, embolden him in certain ways, so. But I also think that if it hadn't been her, it would have been somebody at his community college, you know. Yeah. He was was determined to shoot somebody. Yes, yes. Although it's, it's, we're starting to hear a little more about how he'd had contact with Congressman Gifford since, you know, three years back. He had a letter from her and, you know, he had a definitely an unhealthy fixation on her. And then I think, you know, a lot of this overheated political talk just helped sort of, you know, help keep the the burners boiling yeah. on, on his other kinds of obsessions and, and, you know, paranoias and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But... <clears throat> One thing, I mean, it, as long as we're talking about Congressman Giffords, it's it's just amazing and miraculous. As I pointed out last week, that you know her eyes were open. Now she seems to be responding to um, you know people who come and visit her. Her husband, she was able to like you know pat his back and and you know kind of control her 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 arms and legs and 
you know, there just seems to be um, a lot of good news in terms of her being able to make some kind of recovery, which is just amazing. They're talking about uh, releasing her from the hospital and into a rehabilitation facility within days. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, that's like nobody would have predicted that. Yeah. You know, with a with a gunshot to the head, that yeah. her recovery or her her road to recovery would move this quickly. Right. Right. And um and I know last week we talked a little bit about gun control efforts and at that point um you know, it had seemed um very unlikely, but I really have to hand it to Rachel Maddow. She did a show recently which I think I highlighted on uh, the Momocrats Facebook page also, but you she did. really she really talked. She brought on Michael Moore, and um, we've all forgotten now, but in Bowling for Columbine, um, the Littleton, Colorado shooting, school shooting, um, you know, he he brought out two kids who had survived that shooting and had pieces of, you know, the, the bullets um, lodged in them. They were unsafe to remove, so it's safer for them to walk around with these bullets in them. And um, he basically talked to these kids and found out that uh, the bullets cost 17 cents each, and um, you can buy them at places like Kmart. So they went down to Kmart, and they kindly explained to the people there that, you know, um, the two shooters in the Littleton, Colorado shooting got their bullets from the local Kmart, and this is how they were ma- they managed to kill and, um, you know, otherwise maim um, a, a huge number of people before, of course, they, you know, died themselves. So, uh, actually, it was amazing. A, a day later, the people at Kmart were so chagrined and shamed by this that they actually withdrew sales of those kinds of bullets from from their stores, so now you're no longer able to buy them. Now, um, this shooter, the Giffords shooter, Jared Lochner, it seems as if he got his bullets at Walmart, at a super Walmart. Right. So right. Um, Rachel Maddow's point was that, you know, let's not concede that all is lost, that, you know, gun control is impossible. You know, she, she started out with sort of the Chris Rock, you know, comedy routine on bullet control. <laughs> Which, yes. You know, it, it was for comedic purposes, sure, but it opened up the conversation and it reminded us that, okay, if certain avenues of gun control per se are politically not feasible, then, you know, what about controlling ammunition? What about the fact that Jarrett Lochner was able to unload, you know, 31 rounds and and really he didn't kill and injure more people because he ran out, he had to reload so the you know thankfully people intervened and stopped him but really you know what why do you if you're a hunter <laughs> you know do you really need like 30 rounds to get your deer <laughs> you know so you the, don't these kinds shoot of questions deer right with a glock you know yeah you, it's, it's, with a glock it's, exactly it's, so I, I was really, really grateful that she had that show and and really pointed out that um, when Michael Moore, went, you know, in 1991, I believe it was, when he went in and did this with the kids who survived and Kmart, you know, came out and said, okay, we're no longer selling these kinds of bullets, uh, there was like a kerfuffle that lasted, you know, a week, maybe, and then it died away, and no one said anything. And look, no one is bu- able to buy bullets anymore from Kmart. So I think she's really kind of putting it out there for serious consideration. Why can't we do something similar on a larger scale? You know, not just right. target Walmart, but say, you know, 
you don't really you don't need more than ten rounds in your clip. <laughs> and if you do, then maybe we need to kind of build in some safeguards so mentally ill people are not able to purchase them purchase them easily. People with a you know history of mental illness and or violence, right? Well, the mental health thing is another avenue that has yeah. opened up. A conversation yeah. has opened up. And does the health care bill cover mental health? It does. I think it expands coverage and, you know, makes um you know, makes it easier for people who are mentally ill to make sure that they get, you know, the treatment they need. Because that is one of the toughest areas, you know, as you know, I think I think, you know, people don't talk about it. It is there is still a stigma. Mm-hmm. But I know plenty of people who have family members who, you know, suffer from bipolar or um, depression. It's very, very common. I mean, depression especially yeah. is very, very common. And few of us actually go out and get the help that we might need. Yeah. And, you know, what do you do? I mean, looking at the shooter, I'm I'm wondering, what would I do? If I thought my daughter showed signs of this, mm-hmm. you know how, you know it it's so touchy. Yeah. And you know how many other people out there are are really visibly mentally ill, and family and friends aren't doing anything about it, and yeah. the authorities, people who see them. I mean, obviously, people at the school knew that there was a problem with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who? what did his What did his family know? Exactly. I mean, they, they came out with just a tremendously sad statement saying that they, you know, joined the rest of the community in grieving and were just so terribly sorry. And it's, it's kind of unimaginable to think of being in that position of having to issue a statement like that given that your adult son or daughter, you know, has gone and done this terrible thing. And and you know, I have tremendous sympathy for for the families of, you know, mentally ill people who are also violent. Um, you know, that they are often not willing to take medication that helps them. You know, I mean, it it can just be extremely difficult because they resist, you know, self-treatment that would help them, you know. But I think in general, I mean, I, it's not to say also that mentally ill people are harmful to other people. No, I think that, as as we mentioned before, as we qualified before, you know, probably 10% of people who are mentally ill are truly a danger to people other than themselves. And really, it's if, if mental illness and guns is a bad equation, it's very often because, you know, mentally ill folks, people who suffer from chronic depression, suicide is really you know, the the major danger, the fact that they yeah. can be a danger to themselves. So yeah. um, I think for, for those all those reasons, you know, it's just if we can keep folks, you know, who have a history of mental illness, who um, are vulnerable, are fragile, you know, if we can kind of keep them away from things that could harm them or harm other people like guns, you know, that just seems to me to be a, a public good. So... And I know that um, Senator Lugar was the one who said that he was willing to revisit the issue of the assault weapons ban. And um, yeah. now he's now that he's okay, he said that you know, 24 hours went by, and the Tea Party people are now saying, well, then let's primary him in 2012. 
So yeah, it's hard to be uh, uh, an independent Republican. It is because they really do rein in their people. They don't they don't fight among themselves in public the way we do. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. Some of them have been kind of you know disagreeing here and there, but I I. Oh, I discipline agree. is do, so tight. They they definitely march in lockstep to yeah. a greater degree than we cats seem to be able to do on our side. But now, Finn, we have about uh-huh. five minutes left. Um, want to talk about Joe Lieberman? Sure, sure. <laughs> he's the finally, announcement. Yeah, he's finally going to exit the uh, the Senate. It seems he's not going to um, run again. So that is. A huge surprise to me, but um, you know he's he's kind of taken a path in recent years that you know Democrats are kind of like really what's the point? You know you may be independent, but you're not a Bernie Sanders kind of independent. You're you might as well be a Republican. So really, what's the point? You know, um, and so I think in a way he sort of boxed himself in in terms of who his constituency is and who he appeals to these days. You don't think that maybe he's just getting tired and wants to retire? That could also be it, you know. (laughs) I mean, certainly, you know, we've had a lot of people, I think, um, what's his name, Conrad from um, North Dakota, was it? He's retiring, too. Yeah, he's retiring also. So, I mean, there's definitely sort of like like an age and generational cohort that kind of yeah. came in, and now you know it's it's natural that they would want to um, relinquish the reins and let someone else take a whack. But now, unfortunately, Politico uh, reports that you know with these Democrats retiring, the Republicans are looking at the Senate and saying that they only need to gain four seats in um, 2012 to get yeah. control of the Senate. The margin and, is very thin. It was already very thin because I right. think 29, 29 Democratic Senate seats were up, you know, um, it, for in, in in the contest, in, in ter- were, you know, up for re-election. And so it wasn't a done deal that all 29 would stay in Democratic hands. So that was already right. a very large chunk of our Democratic majority. So to know that only four seats would tip the balance is very unnerving, extremely unnerving, especially right. even now the House has the GOP majority as well. So um, that, uh, you know, I don't know why it is that Americans like to have, you know, one party dominate in Congress and then the other party be the president. I just, I don't know. I, some people feel like it's checks and balances, and I just tend to feel like it's partisanship and gridlock <laughs> where nothing gets done. <laughs> um, I think you'd prefer a parlamentary government <laughs> I think where, so. where the party in charge is the party in charge. Yes, I think so. And then they're just like little coalitions that form, you know, to get, you know, certain projects done. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We, uh, you know, we as a nation, you know, complain about the partisanship and the gridlock, and yet, you know, we vote in a way that exactly supports that. So I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we'll see. I, there seem to be like a handful of Democratic um, challengers to Lieberman. For, you know, people who look as though they're positioning themselves to go for his seat. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, Connecticut could remain in Democratic hands or, or could get back into Democratic hands. Yeah, let's but hope it's so. It's the Democrats that are retiring out of borderline red states. Yes, that um, that that's really going to be a battle. Right, right. And yeah. you know Scott Brown's term will be up, but uh, he's got a very good approval rating in Massachusetts. Yes, and interestingly, he is one of the ones that you know had a lot of Tea Party support when he was first elected, but now he's actually kind of distanced himself from some of those positions as well, and so now they're, you know, mad and grumbling about oh, him. Oh, he's a Massachusetts Republican. So. Exactly. How far can he go? How far can he go to the right? I mean, Massachusetts, you know, consistently has, you know, some of the best public schools. Um, you know, there's a tremendous sort of civic um, engagement there and traditionally democratic, you know, um, very well educated and prosperous state, which generally means, you know, it tends to go democratic. So <laughs> he, he has to water it down, um, even as a Republican. Yeah. 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 Well, my goodness, there was so much news this week. I and know. We and have, uh, we're, we are at the end of our 30 minutes. Okay. So um, are there any last words you want to say? We've, we've got lots and lots of links over on the Momocrats Facebook page. Yeah. Um, catch you up to date on everything that is going on. Yes, and, and I just want to uh, say that Hu Jintao is in town, so that should be interesting. And we just came off all this Tiger Mom nonsense. So <laughs> I was joking on Twitter Which that... Which keeps on going. I know, it will not die. And I, I was joking that Hu Jintao has come to force America's school children to practice, you know, my my white donkey, your little white donkey. <laughs> no, and he will no call food us all no garbage. That's right, that's right. You're garbage until you get it. <laughs> so. Did you happen to catch Michelle Ree on Marketplace yesterday talking about Tiger Mom? No, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. So, I, I mean, that was like a total confluence. It's waiting wow. for Superman and Tiger Mom oh, in one God. little... So, I, you know what, I'll find the link, post that on the Facebook page. Yeah. It was very interesting. She had a lot of things to say about how we should not be thinking of education as a social function, but as an economic one. Um, and on that note, mm. we're going to say goodbye, and we will yeah. see you all next week. Okay, yes. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>